Doing it live, Bo Bishop and Johnny Ginter. It is the Dubcast, live at least into Johnny's computer and then fed to you however you consume podcasts, which is becoming easier and easier and more and more people are doing it. And uh, we're happy to be bringing it to you as we do every single week. We we are coming off, my friend, um, an interesting weekend. And I could not help this weekend when I heard the story of Luke Fickle taking the job at Cincinnati and thinking back to my Columbus radio days. And I remember that season vividly. Uh, that was my first season on the radio in Columbus and we were coming off of the biggest story in Ohio state football where Jim Trestle was run and uh, no one saw that. I mean, that was something you, no one could have foreseen and, and he was out and Luke was getting the job and I was going on the radio. So it was, it was happening at the same time. So I was learning the radio business and probably failing miserably in the early goings at learning (laughs) the radio business as Luke Pickle was failing probably miserably coaching a football team. I remember several <laughs> things about that season. And um, what I remember, uh, I'll, I'll give you just a little potpourri here of the things that jump out at me. And I'm curious to get your perspective from a fan perspective. Okay. I remember that he had very, he had no choice in upgrading the offensive staff that he had his, his, his he had to coach that year with one hand tied behind his back because Jim Trussell was the offensive coordinator. He was the offense. And if not with title, with that was the reality. And he was gone. And there was nobody left to take that mantle. And Luke was not allowed to hire somebody in their place. He was able to make one hire. He hired Mike Vrabel, his good buddy, um, to, to work on the defensive staff. So that jumped out to me. I remember him going into it thinking, boy, this guy, one hand tied me on his back. Urban was this giant cloud that was over him the whole year um, because Urban was out there. And as soon as Trestle was fired, it was, can we get Urban Meyer? I mean, that was as soon as it, it's the second it was, can we get Urban Meyer? And, and I, I think 11 Warriors was the first to break the story when Urban eventually did take the job. Yep. And, but there were rumors in middle of the fall that, that, that this was a done deal. And, and who knows exactly when it was done or, you know, when, when they decided that. So I remember that being a very difficult thing. I remember him beating um wisconsin and russell wilson at night on a braxton miller throw (laughs) and think and i went on the radio that monday and said that man deserves the job if he held that team together he deserves the job and that happened like midway through that season and then he went and lost to like purdue and just went to hell (laughs) it just went to hell from yeah and then i remember you have to remember he was also coaching under like devere posey could only play the last two games Right. Um, remember Devere posing how bad they screwed him? Like he had to sit for ten games and then came back for Penn State and Michigan. Did he go to like it. a charity thing or something? And that's why oh, it's such got... a bunch of crap. I mean, they they threw that kid under the bus. They threw him under yeah. the bus. He's a good kid. He is a good, very good kid. And I remember going up to him. Uh, quick side note: I remember going up to him after the Penn State game, and when the interviews were done, it was the first time he talked in months. And I, not that this means anything, but I just felt it was necessary. I just said. Do not ever hang your head because the way that kid carried himself during that, I mean, yeah. he put the weight of Tatgate fell on him harder than anybody because he had to live through it. And right. it was all a bunch of nonsense. I mean, it was just ridiculous. So anyway, that's an aside. And the last thing I'll say is I remember the press conference before the Michigan game when uh, I forget the exact quote, but it was some of the effect of I, I got to go coach the damn game. We're, I, I don't, you know, I don't care who the damn coach is. And at that point, it was Urban. Like we knew, everybody knew. Yeah. 
you know, at that point, I think, again, 11 Warriors, it was awesome. I mean, 11 Warriors broke that story, which was heartbreaking for a lot of the traditional media <laughs> in Columbus that, the, yeah. that 11 Warriors broke it and nobody wanted to admit it. But the reality was you did. And um, and it was one of the craziest seasons of all time. And then to think that that man then had to be coached, uh, work under a, a coaching uh, head coach of Urban Meyer, who kind of hung over his one year when he got to coach his alma mater. And now here we are all these years later, five seasons later. He's going to be the head coach at Cincinnati, which in reality is probably the perfect fit. But it was one of them. I could write a book on that season. And really, to me, it would be more interesting than the 2014 season or or anything, just because it was one of the most crazy, just bass backwards, nutso seasons I've ever been a part of uh, on a week to week basis. It was nuts. It was absolutely nuts. I remember going to Nebraska and Bo Pelini uh, was was wanted the job like he was. <laughs> He was like <laughs> wanting to see if we could do anything to like get him the job over Urban, and it was nuts. It was just the craziest year ever. So I'm I'm happy for Luke that he gets this place because I think this is a better place for you to be indoctrinated and to start your coaching career as opposed to that absurd firestorm in 2011. It was a wild year, man, and I'm, I'm happy yeah. for Luke Fickle. Well, I bet, and honestly, I'm the only experience that I can relay from that season, at least maybe on your level, is. Before we had beat writers, before we had photographers and all that kind of stuff at 11 Warriors, um, some of the guys would go up and they would report on practices. They go to media day and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And I had the opportunity to actually go to media day. I think this is like my maybe second year, sorry, my second year working at 11 Warriors. And I went up there in a little pad and paper and, you know, I was taking some pictures and stuff. And I took video of Luke Fickle's press conference or presser before the uh media day and the guy like i looked up the video because i wrote something about this on sunday and i looked at the video it's 18 minutes of him just gripping onto the podium like for oh. dear life like he's on top of a train and if he lets go he's gonna like die and it was it was just incredible to see how utterly terrified i think he was to be in that position and, and justifiably so because the dude was put in really an impossible situation right and under the worst possible circumstances and then I go back and I look at some of the, you know, interviews and stuff that he's done this year, and it's a totally different guy. And I think, you know, Luke Fickle, whatever kind of success that he'll have at, at Cincinnati, and I think he'll do well. Um, I think he owes a lot of that to Urban Meyer and just learning mm -hmm. how to be a head coach because I don't think he was prepared for that job in any way, shape, or form in 2011. And obviously he saw the product on the field, but, like, man, I <laughs> – I just remember seeing the look on that dude's face, like in person up close and going, this guy is completely screwed. <laughs> like 100% oh. not ever going to get anything accomplished this season. And I, I love what you wrote about it. Yeah. I love what you wrote about it. I love that you bringing it up now. I remember that vividly. I remember that press conference vividly. I remember him in an ill-fitted suit. I remember him <laughs> sweating bullets. Oh my I God. Remember he, was so him. Sweaty. he didn't really know. It was so much to take. And I, I think, you know, <laughs> in life, you have to pick your spots, right? When's the right yeah. time, you know, as a career, if any of us, we're in career, you're in a career and you opportunities and various jobs come up or, you know, you try to advance or do the things you want to do and you have to make big time life decisions. And I think I give a tremendous amount of credit to him and his wife, Amy, who is the sweetest lady ever. I remember she died every time they lost that year. I mean, on the sideline, she died. It was, I yeah. felt so bad for her um, because that was just a cauldron to be in the middle of. And I just think it's, they just picked their spot perfectly. Like he, he got these five years with Urban. 
He, I'm sure he soaked it all in. He's leaving on a high. His defense is the unit. I mean, it's the oh, unit yeah. of record on this Ohio State football team. It's a unit of record. It's the best defense they've had in a very long time. They are dynamic. They're fun to watch. They're aggressive. They're all the things you'd want. And he gets to go to Cincinnati. You know, like you can win at Cincinnati. You can't win a national championship. You got the power five stuff that's going to hang over you because you're not in a conference. You know, so that's a tough spot. You're not in a conference of note. That's a very difficult spot. I'm sure they were dying to get into the Big 12. Yeah. Um, but the, that, you know, that didn't happen. So that's a tricky spot. But it's a, it, to me, it's a very similar to job to the one Tom Herman took at Houston. I think the difference is that Luke will be at Cincinnati a lot longer than Tommy was at Houston. I think it's a five, six-year job for Luke. I think he's got six kids, and you can't move six kids every two years. So unless one of the great jobs you know, comes open, Notre Dame, and they decide to hire him after two years at Cincinnati, which I don't think they'd go back that well again. Um, I think he's at Cincinnati for a little while. I think he'll win some there. I don't know that he's going to be a dynamo in you know in the way that Herman was at, at Houston and you know attract the LSU's and the Texas's of the world. But to me, he's more in the D'Antonio mold, right. I, and I mean that as the highest compliment. I think he will follow his former defensive coach's mold, and I think he's going to be a Mark D'Antonio style coach. And that I think that's a hell of a way to go about it. No, there's nothing wrong with that. And in Cincinnati, I mean, he's got a lot of name recognition in the state already. It's going to help him with recruiting. Um, I yeah. mean, there was a lot of like you know noise out there about Kerry Combs falling. I don't see that happening. But um, I think that is an ideal situation for him, especially with his family. I mean, you can win at Cincinnati, and not just because you know through sheer force of will or something like that. There's a there's a fertile recruiting base in that part of Ohio and in that part of the country that you can draw from. You're not going to get five star kids. But you're going to get a lot of decent high school players to to really build a program around. Plus, it's not like they're in shambles, you know. Really, overall, I mean, it's it's no. a community and it's a college that supports that football team. I mean, they have a history of success and they want to continue that. Now, I rag on Cincinnati fans constantly because I grew up in Southwestern Ohio and had to deal yeah. with, for whatever reason, Bearcat football, you know, superseding Ohio State football occasionally, but. That's a that's crazy. That speaks, <laughs> that speaks to the job. That speaks to the job yeah. and why it's a good place for him to go. And and I think he'll be successful. I think he'll do a good job there. Johnny, they have great facilities. They've just they yeah. just redid Nippert. I mean, great, great facilities. A great place to watch a football game. It's excellent. It's an awesome place to watch a football game. It's a great city, Cincinnati. It's it's of the cities in this t- of this state. It's the one I've spent the least amount of time in. <laughs> um, but anytime I've been there, I've I've just loved it. I just think it's great. So oh, it's, it's beautiful. I mean, it's old German yeah. style. I mean, it's it's a cool place to, to just hang out a little bit. Very much. Yeah, he'll do very well there. And um, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for Amy. I'm happy for his family. And um, it's going to be interesting. I think it's 2019 Cincinnati and uh, and then Texas come on the schedule right around there. I mean, it's yep. possible that and Lane Kiffin's on the schedule, too, at FAU. <laughs> so, <laughs> and really, he's, you know, he's the poster child for giving so much so fast. I mean, to think that that guy 10 years ago was the coach of the Oakland Raiders right. and then goes to Tennessee and is the head coach at Tennessee at like 33 or whatever, 32, 33, and then, then goes to USC and is, and is recruiting like a madman. He's living on Manhattan Beach, like hanging out with Will Ferrell and Vince Vaughn, all this stuff. And then he goes, then he's blown out of there, fired on a tarmac. And, and he's, <laughs> next thing you know, he's at Alabama and now he's at FAU. That's what can happen. Now his wife yeah. left him like his life's in shambles and he's the head coach at FI, FAU. He, he's <laughs> in the same state as Charlie Strong, Mark Richt, uh, Butch Davis, let yeah. alone McElwain and Fisher. Like that's yeah. the state he's 
currently trying to recruit it. It's nonsense. I mean, it's just absolute lunacy. Um, and to think like that's where your life can go if you make the wrong, if you make the wrong spots. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you make the wrong decisions. You can be the coach at FAU, and you can you know lose your wife and all this shit. So like I I just think like Luke did it the right way. Like I'm sure he was tremendously disappointed that after 2011 he couldn't have put that together. I don't ever know. I'll we'll never know if there was ever any chance for him to be the permanent head coach. If there was ever a record that would have done it, my yeah. feeling was always my my gut feeling on it was from where I was is that they wanted every opportunity for him to take the job. That there were people there in powerful positions that if he could have gone ten and two, he could have maybe held on to that job. Now that would have set the program back in my belief um, substantially. But that I think there were some people that wanted that. And perhaps it's better that it didn't happen that way and that he's stuck around and he waited the time. And now he's at a place where I think, A, you can win at Cincinnati. You hit on it. You're, you're second fiddle in Ohio, but that's a great state to be second fiddle in. And, yep. and he's going to poach a lot of those kids that used to go to Michigan State or used to slip out to you know Illinois or uh, Northwestern or, well, maybe not Northwestern, but Penn State. I mean, some of those places that we're getting like Ohio's third run, Michigan State. He'll be able to poach some of those guys because he has great relationships in the state. Um, I do not think there. I just don't think he'll. You can find a better fit for him at this point to be his to really have his own program than this one at Cincinnati. It seemed perfect to me. I want to tell you something. The program that should actually be worried the most about Luke Fickle being at Cincinnati is Notre Dame because the Catholic schools in southwestern Ohio are going to be taking a lot closer look at Cincinnati now that Luke Fickle is down there. And a lot of those kids who you know love Ohio State and they know Ohio State, maybe they don't have the same kind of allegiance to the Catholic schools like Notre Dame, especially you know Notre Dame coming off of a down year. Um, yeah. That's where they got to be worried about because, again, like it is such an insular community sometimes like, with the Catholics and, and how they want to try to you know keep everything in house and all the kids want to go to Notre Dame. I mean, my my high school's fight song was just Notre Dame's fight song, like literally. Was that's it really? <laughs> It was literally just Notre Dame's fight song. Well, it's a great so, fight song. I mean, yeah, it's, oh, it's it's fantastic. It's but my, yeah, but my point is that's that's an opportunity for him to make inroads <laughs> there and a lot of really good recruiting uh, high school. So you know, Saint X is down there. So um, yeah, I don't know. I just think it's it's a cool opportunity for him. I think he's going to do well. I think it's funny though that Cincinnati kind of seems to be the you know the pit stop for a lot of coaches. Yeah. Uh, on their way to other things. <laughs> Um, I, I agree with you, though. I think uh, Fickle will be there a little longer than guys like Butch Jones and, and D'Antonio. Um, on the on the Lane Kiffin thing, though, I, I read something, uh, I don't know, maybe it was yesterday, but it, they were saying that uh, it makes more sense if you look at uh, Lane Kiffin's career in reverse, right? Like, that actually makes, that's a more <laughs> logical trajectory for like his career. Like if he started at FAU. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That makes a lot more sense. I think it's all on Reddit. Start at FAU, then go to Alabama, then USC, then Tennessee, then Oakland. Yeah, really, if you just switch the USC and Tennessee jobs, it does. It yeah. abs- That is hilarious. I've never thought of it that way. Yeah. I mean, you know, okay, he got a little minor school, and he's a coordinator at a big school, yeah. and he works his way up. He's like, a, he's, like a, he's like one of those child prodigy actors, right? <laughs> That's really what he is. Like, the, just, he's like Corey Feldman. I mean, he's yeah. like... Corey Hamer Feldman, yeah. like it's just that's who he is. I mean, he's going to be <laughs> having a band and singing with strippers next thing we know. I mean, that's yeah. the next step. 
for him. Yeah, no, Corey um, Feldman is a perfect analogy for that. Yeah, he's, so he's, uh, the, the fickle thing also brings up an interesting th- part. I mean, we ha- now have, um, since Urban Meyer won the national championship in 2014, he's put about 75 kids in the pros. He yep. sent uh, Tom Herman to Houston and then to Texas, and then Chris Ash to Rutgers, and now Luke Fickle to Cincinnati, three coaches now from his tree. And then just from since 2014, uh, Vrabel moved on to the NFL. Everett Withers, I think he's at Texas State now. But there's been a lot, and there could be more. And he's in year five. And I started to think about you know where he is. He's 61 and five in five years at Ohio State. He's got the one national championship. Um, he's 39 and two um, in the conference since <laughs> since he's that, been here. Good. That sounds all right. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, What's interesting about it, though, is I was thinking because I was in Florida when he was got the Gator job and his Florida tenure started very similarly. Um, He took a few more losses early, but his his first five years at Florida, he went nine and three, 13 and one, nine and four, 13 and one, 13 and one. He won two national championships in five years. His sixth year, he went nine and five, four and four in the conference. And that was it. His most painful loss happened at the end of the 09 season with Tebow as a senior. They lose to Alabama in the SEC championship game. They're undefeated. They're number one all year. He has the, you know, the panic attack, the heart palpitations and all that. Retires, then decides to come back, and it ends poorly, and he, he steps down after the 2010 season. And the program's in a pretty rough spot, frankly. You ask any Gator fan, they'll never get over it, um, the, the, the place he left the program in, the amount of arrests, the amount of things that happened there. So he comes to Ohio State, he gets a, a clean slate. It's been gangbusters, right? As I mentioned, 61-5. and five. 39 and two in the league, a national championship. And the, this is what's the interesting part. The program at, at Ohio State is in so much better shape than that Florida program. But if you were to tell people at the Florida program in 2009 that they were headed for what they were headed for, they would have told you you're nuts because oh, yeah. there was no reason to believe it. They had Tebow as a senior. Behind him, they had Cam Newton and John Brantley. Cam Newton was a five star player out of Georgia. And John Brantley was the Gatorade National High School Player of the Year at quarterback. There was no reason to believe uh, Urban's last couple of recruiting classes at Florida were the number one classes in the country. They were powerhouse classes. And it all went south. And there's a lot of rumor and why did it, you know, people had different theories as to why it went south. I think really what it came down to is, is he did not hire assistants who were as capable as the ones who left. Mm. When Dan Mullen left, there wasn't somebody stepping into his wake that Urban trusted the way he trusted Dan Mullen. And you could go through that, Steve Adazio, you could go through that, through that whole staff of, of guys who had left because Urban's a great coach and he, he coaches great coaches and they all get jobs. We've seen it. But he, is, he didn't hire guys he trusted. And that caused the, the exhaustion and that caused being stretched too thin and that caused after year six stepping down. I'm not saying this to make Buckeye fan panic. And make him think that it's all going to come crashing down next season. It's not. I think he learned a lot from the Florida situation. But when you lose coaching talent over the last couple of years, the likes of Herman, Ash, Fickle, you'll probably lose Shiano after next year. If he does, there's really no other job open right now that I don't think would quench him. Um, so you'll probably lose Shiano after next year and maybe others. Um, you know, Luke could take some guys off your staff. So what will be really interesting to watch from my perspective, having seen it all kind of crumble at Florida, is how does Urban replace this staff? 
you know, like it seemed like he learned, you know, he, he get Mike Vrabel leaves, Larry Johnson comes on. Chris Hash leaves, Greg Schiano comes on. Upgrades, right? In both senses. And I don't right. mean anything to take away anything from Ash or Vrabel. I'm just saying Larry Johnson's one of the great defensive line coaches in the history of college football. And Greg Schiano is the greatest coach in the history of Rutgers. And he coached in the NFL. He was a head coach in the NFL, failure or not. He was a head coach in the NFL. And now he's your co defensive coordinator. That's ridiculous. So, how will Urban replenish this staff? Because they're, you know, you you pay attention, you follow this team. The the way that Tom Herman was replaced, I don't think has been gangbusters. No. Uh, I don't think that's probably an <laughs> understatement, right? It hasn't been as smooth, um, you know, since Tom's left. So this will be a fascinating time in the program. He's in year five at year five at Florida. He had a few more losses, but he had two national championships, and then he was there a sixth year, and that was it. I'm not saying he's leaving. That's where you are in terms of Urban's trajectory at Ohio State and his trajectory the way it played out at Florida. Yeah, I don't – I mean, I was thinking about this exact same thing last week. And attrition when it comes to coaching, I think, is probably a lot more damaging than maybe attrition when it comes to player or personnel uh, in college football. Just because, look, I mean, one really, really good coach can make a huge difference on a college football team. I mean, talent is talent, but I, I think there's a lot more parity than people maybe realize in college football. I think people don't really truly appreciate how good some of these coaches are, at least how much better they are than their peers. And I, you know, that's the one thing that I've been thinking about because you do need continuity in a staff. And but the one thing Trestle was always pretty darn good at was keeping that staff cohesive. And granted, there are some guys on that staff who you would love to see leave, right? Like, I didn't really need to see a Jim Bowman-influenced offense for that many years. Like, that wasn't really something I wanted. Right. Um, <laughs> but Nick Siciliano could have taken the job at any yeah, time. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, <laughs> I think he became a, you know, like a video coordinator or some of the Bengals. It's, it's fine. He could have done that much earlier than he did. But what I am saying with Urban Meyer is that, you know, he's an amazing, he's an amazing coach, like, obviously. And, and he has his, you know, fingers in every single pie and he can help everybody out and then make the entire team better. But the thing that I worry about a little bit is a lack of a theme or an idea, unifying idea uh, on a team. And you could see that when, you know, they were transitioning from Tom Herman to the new coaching staff were coming in and trying to do offense. I mean, you got Beck and all these other guys. And it didn't seem like there was a cohesive idea be behind what they were trying to do. You saw that on the defensive side as well, right? Where they were trying to kind of shovel some guys around mm -hmm. and they were trying to figure out, you know, who had certain coaching responsibilities. If you don't have a central thesis for what you're trying to do as a team, both offensively and defensively, you're going to suffer. And it's not about necessarily having the best scheme, right? It's just about having a scheme that everybody can agree on and work towards. And when you have this much coaching attrition, it's harder for that to stay consistent. And that's what I'm really worried about. It's not necessarily that he's going to have the best coach coming in. I don't, I don't expect them to hire another Shiano or, you know, another Fickler, whoever. I just want a guy who will be like, you know, a, a logical extension of what they're already doing, right? Somebody who can bring their own thing to the table, but also make it work and mesh well with what they want to do overall. Because if, if you have this conflict, right, especially with a young team, I think that can screw some things up. So I'm not super worried about it. I don't, I don't care about the next, you know, hot, crazy, you know, like stud. You know, I don't need another Tom Herman or something. But just find a guy who can work well with what's already there and enhance it instead of trying to change it wholesale. Yeah. Well, and the other the other thing that's tricky here is you're, you know Shiano's going to be gone after next year. I think we can all agree. Yeah, I that. don't. You know, he's not. 
you know, you got one more year of him, so he's not right. going to be your longtime defensive coordinator. And really, that's the side of the ball where you want, you know, what, you don't want to lose what you've gained in the last five years and well, what and this defense find, is I mean, now. That's the question you know I, I mean? have for you. Like, how do you find guys who are just going to stay forever, especially at like a program like Ohio State? Well, they State. won't. Like, it's impossible. And Urban doesn't want those guys. Urban doesn't right. want guys that'll stay forever. He wants them all there two years. Um, but you got to have some lifers. You got to have a Kerry Combs. Yeah. You know, you got to have some of those guys that are that are there for a while. That's always big that Kerry, you know, recommitted this weekend. He's not going with Luke to Cincinnati. That's big. That's really yeah. big because that you know that keeps that. And he's the, such a dynamo in recruiting um that that'll be a big part of this and um urban is you know i'm i'm curious who else goes you know i w- with luke like well well i don't know the relationships that have been fostered would he take would he make a tim beck his offensive coordinator would he make uh, you know i i don't know there could would zach smith maybe get a bump and go coach something on luke's staff i don't know um could could there be more attrition at urban's staff um because luke poaches a couple of guys Maybe. Yeah. I mean, that could be coming. And so, but I guess what I'm saying is we could have a, a lot different looking coaching staff in spring football than we have now. And I think there's a pretty good chance of that over the next couple of weeks. Uh, and that's fine. That's fine. I think Urban's learned from it. I think his program's in a lot more stable shape. I think his culture's better. I think he doesn't have to take the suspect kids that he felt like he had to take at Florida because yeah. at Florida, if you, if you don't take them at Florida, then Florida state will take them or Auburn will take them or Georgia or Miami. And, and then here, they'll rest you alive. Like your your you know, your yeah. fan base and the administration will kill you. Yeah, and they'll beat you on Saturdays. So right. not only will all of those things happen, but they'll beat you on Saturdays. So here they're really you don't have to take those kids here. You, you don't have to. And really the type of kid up here is I have to say it is is a better overall. There are the the great athletes here come from better situations than the than many of the great and i hate to stereotype but many of the great athletes from the south lots of the kids from the south that i was down there a long time that are the best players come from really tough spots um really tough spots and we don't have not not near the propensity of that in the north as there is in the south um so you know it's interesting he's in year six and next year will be year six and he was looking at what was he through? Let me do the quick math here on what he was going in. So he was 10 losses. So he was 54 and 10 going into his um going into his sixth year at Florida. He's 61 and five now. He had the two national championships already at Florida, and he's he's got one here on the way to another. So these are good problems to have, but we're in an interesting point. And it brings the next question of would anything ever tempt him? Hmm. Clearly, nothing in the college game would ever tempt him. Um, the NFL is fascinating to me. He's at an age where he could definitely go to the NFL. And I know the NFL would, would be interested in a coach like him. I don't know. He's only 52 years old. I mean, he could definitely do the NFL if he, if he wanted to do it. I think he's smart enough that his style would adapt. Um, I don't think he'd be like Chip Kelly in that sense. He's a little utilitarian. I don't know how well that plays in the NFL, but if the right situation came about, I always thought like Indianapolis would be interesting for him or any coach really because you have the opportunity to coach Indy Luck, you know Andrew Luck, and I'm not wishing him to go to the NFL, but I just wonder if there will be an itch to scratch there at some point with the National Football League. I don't, you know, maybe. I mean, because that's the thing. Like with with Jim Tressel, you know, people would say that, and we talk about it. I'm like, hell no. Like Jim Tressel doesn't want to have to deal with. You know, like that's not his. That's not his. You know, forte. He doesn't want to deal with that kind of. Uh, atmosphere but urban meyer might i mean it's 
I think, you know, when you've got these type A personalities and, and who they are, I think they're always looking for a challenge. I think, you know, especially him being such good friends with Shiano, I think if he had any inkling of that, you know, Shiano would probably talk to him about it and how that all yeah. works out. Um, I think it's a possibility. And I don't think, you know, I, I think a lot of Ohio State fans would love to just discount that out of hand. Like, no, no, of course not. But you might. And, and if you are the kind of person who wants to challenge yourself and prove that you're the best, then you're going to do what so many other college coaches have done, which is to try to, you know, you know, play your hand in the NFL. And, and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. Most of the time it doesn't, um, at least from what I've seen in, in recent history. But that doesn't mean people are going to stop trying. And no, you know, absolutely not. But that's, but it, that's it, the problem it, because people think they will, right? Because they've seen failures. Like, why would anyone try? It's like, well, you're not a goal. coach. Like, yeah. And the other thing is, is, buddy, Urban would be in the situation if he ever did want to, you know, bark down, bark at that, bark up that tree. He would pick his spot. Like, he's smart yeah. enough. He's not going to go be the head coach of the Cleveland Browns and <laughs> walk into this cesspool. <laughs> that's not going to happen. But, if 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 a job he's smart enough to know that a quarterback is the key in the NFL, yeah. like the Indianapolis Colts, the Tennessee Titans, there's a couple of gigs out there where they've got a quarterback, but they're and I'll, you know I, certainly Indianapolis could have an opening. I mean that's a totally dysfunctional front office, but um, and I don't think he's going to go now. I mean Nate's still in high school; it's nothing to worry about. But I do think at some point there will be. I could see them being a niche that he would want to scratch, that he'd want to yeah. see what it's like to coach in the NFL. I. I guess what I'm saying on this is we, we're trying to, and the, the reason we brought this up is five years, we're in five years of urban. And I just don't think he's going to be at Ohio State 10 years from now. When he got yeah. hired, I said seven years. That's what I thought. I thought he'd be here seven. He's going into year six next year. Um, so I think you could get to that point where, where a gig comes open. And we'll see. Um, I think we'll see. I mean, Nick Saban scratched that that itch it went he went to Miami and he gambled on Dante Culpepper instead of Drew Brees and the rest is history and he's on record as saying that if he picks Drew Brees he's probably never the coach at Alabama and he does he's not running the best you know college football program maybe in the history of the sport uh the most successful and most impressive in terms of what he's done the last five six years he's probably still the coach of the Miami Dolphins and he's got Drew Brees so that's the that's the that's the deal I think Urban would have would learn from that whenever that time comes um, but I bet that that's something that hangs out there for him where I, you know, cause you, when you, we, when he gets asked about it, he kind of bristles, you know, cause people are like, why aren't your name ever brought up? And he's quick to point out that, Oh, I've asked, they've asked, people have called, <laughs> you know, like the ha Jimmy Haslam has a great relationship with him or, uh, you know, he, not a great relationship, but I mean, they talk. And so I think there's a, an, ad an admiration there. I think he's smart enough not to take this job right now, but, um, I, I guess my point is that I don't think he's he's not Woody Hayes. He's not Joe no. Paterno. He's not going to be coaching at Ohio State when he's 70. Um, so appreciate him while you got him. Yeah, and I don't think there's any of those coaches in the top. Like, if you're talking about the top, you know, maybe four or five coaches in, in college football, I think all of them are at some point, you know, guys who would who would test the waters of the NFL, right? I mean, it's not it's not the same as it used to be. And a lot of people just hold on to this ideal of, you know, a Joe Paterno type, you know, Woody Hayes type guy who's just there for 30 years and that's their job. That the guy doesn't exist anymore. And that's okay. I mean, it's totally fine for somebody to want to challenge themselves, you know, especially when in the Super Bowl having a hundred million people watch you, all that kind of stuff. Like that's mm -hmm. that's part of the gig. And when you have that kind of person who can, you know, create a juggernaut like you know, you've seen at Alabama or at Ohio State, they're going to eventually want to think about, you know, testing what they can do you know, at the higher level. So I don't, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think sometimes people get upset or offended, you know, that their loyalty has been lost or something like that. And I'm like, they don't, 
that that doesn't exist. It, it never really existed, but it certainly doesn't exist in that way in 2016. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. It just it's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's uh, it's nothing to worry about. It's not coming. It's nothing now. No. Um, but I, I think it is a natural at some point, and it brings me to Jim Harbaugh, who's been in the news. For no, <laughs> you know, you, before we started the podcast, I said, I go, I'm surprised no one said, no, this is a bunch of nonsense. And you had the great Baghdad Bob line. You know, usually a Baghdad Bob comes. I can't, I, I miss Baghdad Bob so much. He was so great. Um, the, uh, the, all of the rumors with the, with the Rams and Harbaugh. Look, the, the only person, or not the only person, but the person I trust the most on Jim Harbaugh is John U. Bacon. And yeah. he is emphatic that he's going nowhere. And I don't believe, I mean, look at this man. He just bought Woody Hayes glasses. He walks around in khakis <laughs> and, a, and a block M hat always. He drinks yeah. milk at steakhouses. He's, I mean, if there's anybody who's just gulping being a college football coach, it's this guy, right? Yeah. I mean, he's just taking it all in that none of that crap plays at the NFL level. He's smart enough to change it. Obviously, you look at what the 49ers were before and after him, it's proof of how great a coach the man is. But, I mean, what he got out of Kaepernick's incredible. To get Colin Kaepernick within a throw of a Super Bowl championship is astonishing. Um, so there will be interest, and I think Harbaugh will go back to the NFL at some point. It just, I just think that still has a sour taste in his mouth. But Jim Harbaugh is not yeah. leaving Michigan after two years to be the head no. coach of the L.A. Rams. I'm sorry. He's not doing that, man. <laughs> it's not in the cards. No. No, I mean, he's, he'll, I think, you know, I think he'll test the waters in the NFL again. I agree with that, but it's not going to be until he gets bored with college. Right. And clearly he's enjoying himself immensely as a college coach. I, I think he wants to get, you know what? I think he wants to do what Bo was never able to do, which is to win a national championship. Yeah. And I think that is so important to him because for him, I mean, you can see it. He sees himself as an extension of Bo Schimbeckler's legacy. Right. So he, if he can win that. Bo Schimbeckler. My kids yeah. dress up as Batman. He dresses up as Bo Schimbeck. <laughs> he thinks he's Bo Schimbeck. It's the yeah. craziest damn thing ever. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like he wants, he wants to, he wants to do that for Bo. And I think yeah. that is totally noble. And I think that's awesome. I, you know, I, I wish him all the best in that endeavor. Except, of course, when he's playing Ohio State. But um, he's not tired of it yet. He probably won't be tired of it for many years. Uh, and by many, I mean like four, <laughs> but oh, you know, depending yeah, on think... the level of success that he has, cause that dude, I feel like his attention yeah. span is probably the same as like maybe a five-year-old, but, um, no, yes, he's a big kid, <laughs> but that's okay. And that's, and look, if that's what motivates him, college. yeah, you know, and that's, and that's great. And I think for Michigan, you know, I don't think they have to worry about him doing that. I do think that somewhere down the line, he'll maybe get tired of the shtick a little bit and decide to, you know. I don't know, Cincinnati Bengals just fired Marvin Lewis. I don't think about it. And then maybe you might do yeah. something like that, which I'm sure would please a lot of my fellow Southwestern Ohioans. I just I hate all of you, but um <laughs> for being traitors and Michigan fans. But um yeah, I don't know. You know, and that's a natural part of the the coaching profession now, and I, I don't think people should be surprised by it anymore. No, I I and I think to me there's no way he leaves after two years, 0-2 against Ohio State. Like He's too much of a student of history. He knows he knows all of it. He knows he can't walk out of there without a win over Ohio State. He can't walk oh, yeah. out of there. I mean, he, there's just no way. So he'll, he's going to be there for a little bit, and I think he's also smart enough to know that he's not going to take it. They don't have a quarterback in L.A. with the Rams, so he's not going to go. He's not going to take that gig. He'd be smart enough to wait for 
you know, that's it. I mean, that's the thing for Urban Harbaugh. Saban's probably too old now because he's late sixties, but yeah, Saban's way older than people think. He is because he looks like he hasn't aged in fifteen years, but he's right. like mid sixties. Um, so the you 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 really pick your spot and make sure you hit when it's time to hit. And and they if they go, they'll be smart about it. They're not going to take a nonsense job because um, they have great jobs that pay a lot of money that with adoring fans and. Uh, so not really going anywhere. Um, let's transition to Torrance Gibson. So can you tell me what in the blue hell happened today? So I have no, <laughs> I, I was like sledding with my kids and, and then we had a, uh, you know, we had a little birthday party here for my oldest and every oh, any, intermittently nice. I would hop on Twitter and it would be, here's Torrance Gibson going to some Mississippi junior college. And uh, his girlfriend is saying, no, he's not. And I'm looking at Twitter and everyone's in a panic and I'm thinking, I don't know if this kid's ever going to pan out anyway. So, what are there any details? Can you tell me anything about this kid? My my inclination would be that he's going to leave and go to junior college, which is probably the smart thing for him to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I mean, look. He's he has signed a letter of intent. That's it's it's in the the da- database. Like it's clearly happened. Um, you know, M. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna use the acronym MGCCC Athletics. Uh, uh, Mississippi Guff well, Gulf that's where these kids Community have to go, College. Right? What's up? That's where these kids have to go is places like that. It's, yeah, which that's and, and that's what we were talking about, which is ludicrous. Like, I mean, I think it's it's definitely going to happen. I mean, you tell a kid that he's going to play quarterback and then he doesn't play quarterback and he believes he should play quarterback, he will eventually find a way to play quarterback. Um, but they, yeah, it's it's insane that they have to sit out and and go through the whole rigmarole that they have to do. It's it's really silly and childish and kind of just punitive for no real reason, um, especially given the way that you know these these students are monetized and and basically told that they have to you know adhere to a certain level of decorum and and uh, I don't know respect or whatever you want to call it to the university deference to the university that their coaches don't have to deal with at all. Um, it's silly to me that he has to go through all this. It's silly to me that, you know, people are panicking, first of all, because the guy's done basically nothing as an Ohio State player. Uh, I, I say more power to him. If the dude wants to play quarterback and he's not, you know, he's not happy at Ohio State, it's not working out for him. Clearly, he's gotten in some trouble at Ohio State, so that hasn't helped him either. Uh, do do you do you, young man. Like, you know, if that, that helps you out, then you should do it. I I agree on all of that. I think two two big overriding themes for me on this kid is he is a product of his own hype hype that he did not create hype that we all bought into we we talked about this with danny clark danny clark uh now his you know his uh, look there was some of they're they're a little more complicit than torrence gibson uh (laughs) in terms of feeding into it but um torrence gibson i mean he can't help how he's rated he's a great football player out of florida he had all the measurables he comes up here they tell him he's going to play quarterback. Within ten seconds, he's transitioned to receiver, and and then from there, everything happens the way that it happens. To me, Torrance Gibson should be able to transfer to a Division One college whenever the hell he wants. If Urban Meyer or Tom Herman, Tom Herman just recruited this best class in the history of the University of Houston last year, and he's at Texas now. Yeah, and there's no penalty to him, none. And yet those kids can't leave. They're stuck at Houston. I mean, there's a five-star kid. His name, the, the name escapes me. He's a defensive lineman that Herman recruited last year to Houston. Okay, five-star defensive lineman. He's at Houston because of Tom Herman. That's it. He's not at Houston for any other reason. He could have gone anywhere, and he's at Houston. 
and he's stuck at Houston. Meanwhile, Tom Herman's in Austin. I'd rather be in Austin, and this kid <laughs> probably would too, and he can't leave. He's stuck. Well, not, not without losing a year of eligibility or having to take a red shirt. That's nonsense. They should be, if a coach leaves, or in the case of Torrance Gibson, if you were recruited and told, and I wasn't in all these recruiting meetings, but if you were told that you're going to be a quarterback and they trade you to receiver within five minutes of walking on campus, you should be able to transfer without penalty. I mean, these kids need to have some rights, don't yeah. they? I mean, isn't it time that they get some sort of say? I mean, they're making no money on this. Right. I mean, the coaches make all the money and have all the power. Jim Harbaugh makes $9 million for crying out loud, right? I mean, yeah. how, how how do we not? I mean, Urban makes seven. Like, how are we, you know, we're worried about Torrance Gibson can't, can't transfer. And I know he got in trouble. Maybe that's why he's at junior college. But to me, if Torrance Gibson can play next year at Alabama, he should be able to go down and play at Alabama without penalty. Yeah, well, I mean, the, part of it, I think, is rooted in this antiquated notion that, you know, these kids are choosing, you know, where they play because they love they fall in love with the college, right? Like, oh, God, I go to Ohio State. I love the love the Oval, love Mirror Lake. That's yeah. that's why I'm here. And people want to believe that they want to believe that these kids go to these colleges because of how awesome the college is, which, of course, BS. They go because of the it's coaches a fairy tale. Yeah. And it's it's unfortunate that a lot of athletes believe that the coaches that they sign on with are going to be there forever. And I'm sure like, look, I'm not, you know, I don't like to put the blame on the athlete because that's not really fair to them. But I also think that there are definitely a lot of naive kids and fa- and parents and families, frankly, who form these bonds, these relationships with coaches. And then those coaches are like, well, I got to peace out. I got this really great offer at another school. It's kind of what I got to do. You know, it's my life. And the kids are left holding the bag on that a little bit. And that's, it sucks because obviously, like you said, the coaches incur no penalty for doing that. And it also sucks because I think the kids kind of got suckered into this beautiful ideal of what college football, you know, is supposed to be, or at least what we tell ourselves it is. And it's, it's sad and it's kind of weird. And I don't, Look, if you're being treated as a commodity anyway, then you should be able to take some kind of agency in your own, you know, development in terms of like your marketability and, and what you want to do in the future. You should be able to do that because yep. that's and that's really and ultimately, I think that's what people are denying. I think they're denying the idea that, you know, these student athletes are essentially money makers for the universities that they're at. Like they're they're literally a commodity that are being, you know, being used to help raise money for a school and it's people don't like the idea of them taking agency and kind of admitting to that and saying, you know what, I'm a commodity. I deserve to have my own direction about how that's going to be used. And people don't like to talk about that. They don't want to admit that. And that's, that's what's sad about it. I think. I agree. I don't know how it gets changed because the people making all the money are the ones that are, you know, it's kind of like the old, like you go up to any citizen in the United States, you say, would you like term limits on senators and congressmen? And everybody would say, yeah, absolutely. Like nobody would go up and say, no, no, I want my guy to stand for 52 years and be a lifetime politician <laughs> and never leave and never spend. I mean, we had a, we had a senator in Montana, Max Baucus, who was the, the he was there like 40 years. He hadn't lived in Montana yeah. in 40 years. And then he became an ambassador to China. Like, like what, how, what does this guy know about what was going on in Montana when I was, you know, but I, the reason I bring that up is we all, everybody can say individually that this, these, there's, this is not. The margin here is is too big for these kids not to get some of it, like yep. some sort of benefits, you know, some sort of personal benefits beyond, 
you know, a bunch of Nike gear and a platform, right. And a free education, because don't sell me that a lot of these kids don't really could care less about the education and they're stuck there for three years because of this deal between the NFL and the college football. So, um, you know, these kids need to have something come their way and we all agree it agree about it. I think most people agree about it. It's just that the people that are holding the, the cards are the people making all the money. So much yeah. like the senators and congressmen who are never going to vote for term limits, these guys are never going to vote for, they're never going to change the way that it's done because they're making all the money. So, and that this isn't exact, we got off on a tangent. This isn't necessarily the Torrance Gibson situation. I mean, he, his was, he got in trouble and uh, that's the way that it goes. But, um, but I would like to see a free transfer happening in, in college football. I think it's right. It's certainly when either a coach leaves or you have been told an untruth, any those type of grievances you should be able to transfer without penalty and i'd like to see these those kids uh be able to do that do we have any ask us anything's my friend we do we have uh, several questions for ask us anything which you guys can do by uh, sending us a question to at 11 dubcast at uh you know on the twitter there or um dubcast at 11 warriors.com so tell you what i'm going to start off with uh the let's see let's do the email questions first so this is from uh looks like tim uh, Tim says, okay. great show, thanks. Quick question. I hear a lot of talk about Tim Beck and Ed Warner and a lot of complaints with play calling or quarterback regression. Why? When do we need to talk about Zach Smith with only four-star talent in the room? Hasn't he done a lot less than a stellar job at developing that talent? Well, that's tricky because, um, okay, everybody knows who Zach's grandfather is. Everybody knows how Urban... <laughs> yep holds Zach's grandfather the, yep. the, the way that they, so um, <laughs> I, I don't sense anything would happen there. I could see Zach being on Luke's staff at Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Um, I would also point out that Michael Thomas developed pretty good and Jalen Marshall developed pretty good and Devin Smith developed pretty good. So look, sometimes you hit, you know, kids, sometimes it's on the kids, you know, um, not always, and and I, I think this is – look, you hit this in preseason, my friend, with your concern with the receivers. I downplayed it. I thought Paris Campbell would have a great year. He didn't. I thought that Noah Brown would be a stud. He wasn't. So it hasn't happened. The, the receivers haven't developed. Um, we just talked about Torrance Gibson. Off air, before we started the show, we talked about Johnny Dixon. And I know he had the in- injury the first year, but that was a five-star. They gave him number one when he got <laughs> here. That tells you how good they thought he was going to be. And <laughs> And it just hasn't happened. So, yeah, I think there, there's offensively, there's going, it'll be a fascinating offseason because I think there will be some things that are addressed. Um, here's what I'll say. So, first of all, I don't like Zach Smith for a number of reasons, but I will say that he has a job at Ohio State for as long as he possibly wants a job at Ohio State. So, that's, barring something off the field. Yeah. That would be just so egregious. I would agree with you. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> I would I would agree with that. All right, so next one is from Alvin. Uh, good friend Alvin Lim. Uh, he says, best Christmas slash holiday song and best Christmas slash holiday movie. Okay, I, this is I'm going to get a lot of crap for this. Okay. The best Christmas song is the Mariah Carey one. The, hmm. the All I Want, all for, I want Christmas. for Christmas is You. That's it. Yeah, that's, that's not great. a bad choice. I think that's an excellent choice. Okay, but I, then this is going to get me a lot of crap. The best holiday movie is mm-hmm. also the best, most watchable romantic comedy of all time, and that's Love Actually. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's got everything. I mean, it's got 
the old British guy is hilarious in it. Yeah. Hugh Grant is charming and funny in it. It's got about, I mean, you got Liam Neeson's in it. I mean, it's got everything that you'd want. I mean, you have to sit as a, as a man who is married, who is, who is with a woman with whom I am related to by marriage and is expected to watch some things like this from time to time. Mm -hmm. I will give her that once a year and it's pretty damn enjoyable from a romantic comedy standpoint. So those would be my two answers. Okay. I don't, I don't think those are bad answers at all. I think all I want for Christmas to you is a great holiday song. Actually, I might put that, I'd probably put that in my top three or five. Uh, for me though, I really do enjoy, you know, kind of like church hymns and stuff like that. It's a little old fashioned, but, yeah. uh, so I would, if I'm doing a, like a top three, all right, it'd probably be silent night. Uh, number That's two so is God rest ye merry gentlemen. And then number one is definitely uh, Jingle Bells as sung by the dogs, right? Where, go, where they're barking, you know, the barking dogs. <laughs> that's, a great, that's number that's one. Great. That is a clear number yeah, one. That's a good one. Um, yeah. And my favorite. I agree with holiday. your church hymn, Silent Night stuff, too. Like, those are, there's something oh, almost no, I love it. emotional yeah, with those. Yeah. Uh, favorite holiday movie, I would probably say, I mean, it's kind of cliche for a, you know, late 20s, early 30s guy to say Die Hard. I really love Die Hard as a holiday movie. Wait a second, wait a second. Are we going to allow Die Hard to be a holiday movie? I think we have. It's, it, it, Christmas is a central theme of that movie. I think you absolutely holy, have to I mean, that changes everything. Yeah. That, put it up on the poll question. Is Die Hard a holiday <laughs> movie? Because if the answer to that is yes, then that's like probably, I mean, Die Hard is a top five action movie of all time. Oh, I think it's the best action movie of all time. I'm, I'm, I, the only reason I said top five is I didn't want to, be too because i have a tendency to with hyperbole and, and not th not think it through so i yeah. just want i didn't want to say i i was as i say that i'm trying to think of one that's better and i don't I mean, off the top of my head i can't think of one. maybe but no mm -mm. yeah i think die hard is the best i really do it and might it, be the best action movie of all time now if we're talking like pure christmasy type movies without like any kind of side you know appeal i would say maybe the muppet christmas movie is probably number one for me um i enjoy cool. that very much. Um, yeah. yeah, so that, that's what I would go with. All right, so we got another. This is another Tim. This is a different Tim. Uh, this is Tim from Columbus. Uh, hypothetically right. speaking, if an opening were to occur at Ohio State in the offensive coordinator position, uh, would you be in favor of hiring Kevin Wilson in that role? I watched the whole Indiana press conference on Big Ten Network, and the uh, AD repeatedly stated there was no medical issues with Wilson's coaching style. Uh, it seems like he was railroaded out of town by the AD. I would take him as offensive coordinator in a New York minute. So he's would a brilliant coach. He's a brilliant coach. I think he's. I think he did maybe the best coaching job in the Big Ten, other than Urban, Bill O'Brien right after the sanctions. <sighs> Boy, he's been good. I mean, I just think that was a brutal program. And he, the way he got his teams to play against, and plus he's proven. I mean, he was a great coordinator at Oklahoma. Urban has tremendous respect for him. I think the reason he was run at Indiana had less to do with being railroaded and had more to do with you know, the way he treated players. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe there's, look, you can treat players like dogs if you're Nick Saban and you win. Yeah. It's yep. Or Urban Meyer and you win. It's harder to treat him like dogs when you're at Indiana. So I, I would I take him? Absolutely. I think he'd crush it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if, if that is the type of gig that he gets. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was at Ohio State, if there's a shakeup on the Ohio State offensive staff. Um, I think obviously he plays the same style of offense. And there's a tremendous amount of respect for Urban with him. And if there is any sort of baggage with him, Urban would be able to take those bullets all day long. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think 
so to your point, I think Urban Meyer absolutely would hire him. I think I would know, want to know personally, for my peace of mind, what exactly went down at Indiana. Because frankly, I think Kevin Wilson's about as good a coach they're going to really see uh, for a while. So I don't, I mean, the specifics I would personally want to know, but would Urban Meyer hire the dude? Yeah, I think absolutely he would. I think Kevin Wilson has proven over the past several years that the dude can he can at least coach offense. And Indiana has been a fun yeah. team to watch for a while because of his influence. So, uh, all right, last one here. This is from uh, Twitter. This is Aaron. Aaron wants to know, are you a fan of the classic television show, Mystery Science Theater 3000? And he asked me, am I excited for the new season? I have no idea what that is. <laughs> okay. I've never seen a second of it. Um, so, no. Okay. But I'm in, I'll, I'll try anything. So if it's on Netflix or Amazon Prime, I'll find it and I'll give it a shot. It's on neither of those, but you can find a lot of the episodes on YouTube, actually. It, there's a lot of complete episodes on YouTube. Okay. Uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, just to give you a quick rundown, Bo, was a show started by a prop comic in Minnesota, like in the Minneapolis area in the late 1980s, where he would buy the rights to these incredibly terrible 50s monster movies and sci-fi movies. All right. And then he constructed these little robot guys and the three and like him and two of his buddies would like superimpose their images like as if they were sitting in a movie theater on the screen and they just make fun of the movie. For and it's a it's a brilliant it's it's a really great idea. It's really hilarious. The show lasted for like ten seasons, both on the comedy on Comedy Central and on the sci fi network. Um they are reviving it, I guess, with this a lot of this original guys. Uh, you know, this, I think this winter, maybe in February, something like March, maybe. And I, it's my, it's like my all time. It's, it's one of my all time favorite shows. I would put it in my top five favorite shows. It's really goofy. It's really wow, silly. Okay. It, well, I'll, hey, look, I'm, I'm going to find it. I'll look, find man, it, it on YouTube and I'll, I'll take it in and just see what it's all about. There, there are a couple episodes that I can recommend to you. I watched, uh, let's see. I watched teenagers from outer space last week and I was dying. Like it was <laughs> Like, there's a point, because, again, they're all really low-budget, crappy movies that they make fun of. And, like, there's this one thing where, like, this teenager from outer space shoots people with a ray gun, and they turn into skeletons. And you can see people, like, kind of shaking the skeletons off screen so that they move. Like, it's, 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 <laughs> it's excellent. So, I'm excited for it. Uh, I think it's, it's going to be a little weird not having the uh, original voices and the original hosts and stuff there. But the writers should be pretty darn good, so I'm excited for that. Well, okay, so I will give it a shot before the new season debuts. I'll check it out on YouTube, yeah. and uh, and and I'll I'll we'll give a review. We'll give a review to it. <laughs> I would love I would uh, love that. I'll, I'll like I said, I'll give you some episodes that you need to okay definitely need to see first because some of them <laughs> look some of these movies that they watch are so god awful that not even, like there's nothing that can save them. Like they are the absolute worst pieces of crap you'll ever watch in your entire <laughs> life. That's the advanced level. <laughs> mst3k watching you've got to start in with the entry level stuff that's at least entertaining on the face of it okay um all right but yeah so that's i definitely recommend it and uh that's ask us anything that's all our uh, questions <laughs> that's great that's great well see that that podcast said it all so was, all right buddy so we'll uh we will convene again next week so the way the schedule will go next week we'll do the year ender we'll look back at the season give out some awards uh stuff like that it'll be a little or more organized show in terms of uh some stuff that we want to get done um and then the the show on the twenty the the week of the twenty seventh will be your Clemson game preview. So we'll yeah. that'll be how the next couple of podcasts will go heading into the college football playoff. Uh, until then, it's a pleasure talking to you as always, my friend. We'll talk to you next week. Yep, back at you.